Eyewitness accounts are notoriously unreliable. Not only because, as humans, we are fallible, but if you're seeking an eyewitness account from someone, you can bet it relates to a period of intense stress. No one seeks an eyewitness account of your trip to Tesco or that time you had to download a lot of bank statements and it was quite annoying. No, they'll be seeking your memory of a disaster, a crime, a tragedy. Something for which you were under high stress. And so, your recall will not, cannot, be 100% reliable. A classic example is the sinking of the Titanic. We all know the famous story of how the band continued to play as the ship went down. And there were plenty of survivors who saw and heard them. Indeed, they, if you like, had a captive audience from the lifeboats. There were hundreds of people sitting out on the still, calm ocean, unable to do anything but simply watch the disaster unfold and watch the band play, of course. But the survivors could not agree on what song they played as the ship sank. Now, of course, the sinking wasn't instant, so the band would have played a number of tunes, but as the ship finally went beneath the waves, what were the band playing? Many survivors swore it was the melancholy waltz Autumn. Others claimed they were playing more cheerful ragtime tunes to try and keep up morale. Another memory, and this is the one which has lodged in the public consciousness because it's the one most often portrayed by Hollywood, is the hymn Nearer My God to Thee. Maybe religious people can take other meanings, other comforts from that hymn, but to me it is simply the achingly sad song they played as the Titanic went under. It is mournful, it is melancholy, it is a tune which signifies that the end is upon us. Ted Turner is an American media tycoon, most famous for founding CNN, the world's first 24-hour cable news channel. He has also been involved in raising awareness of the nuclear threat and is the man who brought threads to American TV in 1985. It went out on Turner's WTBS channel and reached almost 7 million viewers. The New York Times warned viewers that Threads was more um, graphic and distressing than the day after, and it quoted the channel's director of public relations, who said about 2% of the more gruesome scenes from Threads would be edited out for the American broadcast, including the bit where Ruth bites through her baby's umbilical cord. Ted Turner took the responsibility of showing Threads seriously, and he introduced the film himself. Here's a clip. We at Turner Broadcasting System are bringing you the following program to increase awareness about the consequences of nuclear confrontation 
and in an effort to promote world peace. This film, produced in Great Britain, is called Threads. It is powerful and alarming. However, it is not our intention to frighten, but to inform. Because the more we know about what could happen, the less chance it is that it will happen. Let's turn to the newspaper archives here to see how Threads was received in America. I am able to buy access to so many American newspapers thanks to my patrons. Thank you to every one of you. So let's see what they were all saying about Threads back in 1985. The Wichita Eagle had a big photograph of Jimmy, and they said, The burning question is whether the American television audience is ready for a third nuclear holocaust in a little more than 12 months. That's because, of course, they had seen The Day After and then Testament. And now, here comes the granddaddy of them all, Threads. The article continues, quote, Ted Turner is less concerned with whether we want to see another nuclear lesson and more insistent that it is vital that we do. As his spokesman Robert Whistler said, there are some lessons that need to keep being hammered home. The article also notes that Ted Turner would be following the lead of the day after and not seeking companies to run ads during the film. Instead, they would interrupt threads with three so-called soft breaks, where they would preview upcoming specials on the channel, such as Jacques Cousteau's exploration of the Amazon. Turning to the San Francisco Examiner, they said, Threads on WTBS makes ABC's The Day After look like a tea party. It goes on to say, If you thought The Day After was terrifying TV viewing, wait until you've seen Threads. And the article says that Ted Turner described Threads as, quote, the most important programme I've aired in the history of WTBS. The Bismarck Tribune reviewer said, The proliferation of movies about nuclear war has led me to formulate the following rule of thumb. If you can stomach the film, then it hedged the truth. More than 100 million people sat through the day after. Many of those same viewers, I suspect, won't be able to endure threads. The Johnson City Press said that local groups have been organised to take calls from anyone who's left scared by threads. They will also be able to refer particularly distressed callers onto a member of the clergy. The groups who were organising local helplines were Peace Links, Women's Action for Nuclear Disarmament, Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation, and Physicians for Social Responsibility. WTBS itself would also have six people on hand to take calls after the broadcast. The Gazette, based in Cedar Rapids, Illinois, had its TV listings for the day. So if you didn't want to watch threads on WTBS, what was on the other channels at the same time? There was Murder, She Wrote on CBS... NBC had Night Rider. You could also catch NFL's Greatest Moments or Backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. Or if you felt like a film which wouldn't impact on your mental health, your 
hopes, your dreams, and dim the very light in your eyes, then the Disney Channel had the horse in the grey flannel suit. The Pantograph, which is a paper from Bloomington, Illinois, previewed threads by saying it appears on the surface to be a blatant rip-off of the day after, but is, in fact, a far more powerful, uncompromised and accurate depiction of the currently in-vogue nuclear holocaust. He goes on to say, There's no doubt about it. In terms of post-nuclear blues, this film's got a much more severe case of them than the day after ever did. And some of it may have viewers departing for the solace of neighbouring channels before it's over. The parental guidance disclaimer at the beginning is no joke. However, the reviewer has some criticisms of Threads. He mocks the film for including what he calls laughably hoary disaster movie moments, like, for example, the man who can't find his pet dog moments after the city is nuked. Well, we all know that's just plain wrong. The man doesn't lose the dog and doesn't even care about the dog. It's his wee girl who's trying to look for spots. And the searching for the dog is not hoary or sentimental. It's the opposite, because the dad brutally doesn't care about spot. It's the poor wee girl who does. And we can forgive a child for having concerns about their pet. And all of this happens before the city is nuked, not after. So yes, the Bloomington pantograph, if you try to take a shot at threads, you better not miss. Turning to the very clunkily named Corpus Christi Caller Times of Texas, their article starts with, I know this is Super Bowl Sunday, but I'm going to talk about nuclear war. The journalist Dorothy Stanich, who was writing after the broadcast, spoke of the strange non-reaction to the film. She calls it graphic, harrowing and monumentally depressing, and yet, in the same sentence, tells us that the WTBS channel did not receive one single call from a worried or frightened viewer. She suggests this wasn't because the viewers weren't distressed, simply that there weren't many viewers. Well, relatively speaking, I suppose she was correct. Uh, The day after pulled in 100 million, whereas Threads, on its American broadcast, got just under 7 million. However, as she points out, ABC was an accessible channel. Everyone had ABC. I don't know how it works in America, but apparently everyone would have easy access to the ABC channel, whereas WTBS, she reminds us, is cable, so not everyone would have had it. Now, I could spend all day, all week, going through the American newspapers, but let's get back to Ted Turner. So far, we've looked at Ted Turner bringing threads to America which he showed on his WTBS channel. But he's also famous for founding CNN, the world's first 24-hour cable news channel. CNN started on 1st of June, 1980. 
Good evening, I'm David Walker. And I'm Lois Hart. Now here's the news. President Carter has arrived in Fort Wayne, Indiana for a brief visit with civil rights leader Vernon Jordan. Jordan is in serious but stable condition now at Parkview Hospital. So you've launched the first 24-hour news channel. It's America in the early 80s, so you need shoulder pads, hairspray, microphones, lip gloss. You need vans with big satellite dishes on them. But there's something else that Ted Turner thought they needed. Before his new channel launched in June 1980, he thought we must have something ready, something else, something we will hopefully never use. But we'll keep on hand just in case. Ted Turner ordered that his new channel prepare a short video to be broadcast at the end of the world. The video itself is 30 seconds long. There is no talking in the video, no instructions, no alert, no siren. It's not there as a public information video or to help sound the alarm. It's simply there almost as a cosmetic thing, a nice neat bookend to the closing down of the channel. It's something to nicely signify that CNN is now shutting down and it's the end of the world. I'll read you an extract here from Ted Turner's autobiography called Call Me Ted. We invited a combined armed forces band with top-notch musicians from the Army, Navy, Air Force and Marines. They arrived a few hours early as we were assembling bleachers and the viewing stand. While they were rehearsing, I asked them to play Nearer My God to Thee, which I read was the last song played in the Titanic when she went down. We taped the performance so that in case the Cold War ever got hot and nuclear weapons were being launched, CNN could sign off its final broadcast with the Armed Forces Band and this recording. These were young service people and when they played this beautiful melody, I had tears in my eyes. I'll play the short video for you here. As I said, there's no voiceover. It's nothing but the band playing us out into eternity. Remember, it's of very low quality. It looks like someone's uncle is recording the school band on his hired-for-the-weekend camcorder. So he had this band uh, gathered to play the Star Spangled Banner, which would be used to introduce and launch CNN. 
But as he mentions there, whilst he had them all lined up, he asked, would you guys mind <laughs> also recording Neither My God to Thee? Just in case. Just in case. Now, Ted Turner made no secret of this doomsday video. And he spoke quite openly of it in his um, launch speech for CNN. He said, we won't be signing off until the world ends. We'll be on. We'll be covering it live. And that will be our last, last event. We'll play the national anthem for one time on the 1st of June. And that's all. When the end of the world comes, we'll play Nearer My God to Thee before we sign off. So that was his vision for his new channel. 24-hour news, unstoppable news, constant, constant, hardcore news. But bookended with these two pieces of music. Launching the channel with the Star Spangled Banner and then closing it down, maybe, one day, signing off with the doomsday video, Neither My God to Thee. But then, perhaps he was joking, perhaps that was just swagger, or something to grab the headlines for the launch of his channel. Did the doomsday video actually exist? Well, the New Yorker wrote an article which confirmed its existence in 1988, so that's eight years after the thing was recorded. The article was part of an interview with Ted Turner, and they called the article Sign Off. Here's an extract. It begins by quoting Ted Turner himself. Normally, when a TV station begins and ends the broadcast day, it signs on and off by playing the national anthem, he said. But with CNN, a 24-hour-a-day channel, we would only sign off once, and I knew what that would mean. So we got the combined armed forces marching bands together, the Army, Navy, Marine and Air Force bands, and took them out to the old CNN headquarters, and we had them practice the national anthem for a videotaping. Then, as the thing cranked up, I asked if they'd play Neither My God to Thee to put on videotape, just in case the world ever came to an end. That would be the last thing CNN played before we, before we signed off. And I'll tell you, those guys in the military bands knew what I was up to. He began to play the tape. I can't watch this without getting tears in my eyes, Mr. Turner said. And he left the room tossing his hands in the air. We watched and listened as the band completed the hymn. When it was over, in about a minute, the band members snapped their instruments down to parade rest and the screen went dark. Mr Turner came back into the office. Pretty strong, huh, he said. I keep this tape around because when the world ends, it'll be over before we can say what we wanted to say before we can leave any final messages. But still, no one in the outside world had seen it. Okay, the New Yorker had, uh, I suppose some CNN execs had, but the rest of us, the ordinary Joes, no. There was another tantalising hint of its existence in the film Gremlins 2, where an end-of-the-world tape by the fictional channel CCN is played. Here's a clip from Gremlins 2, and you can hear that they are playing Nearer My God to Thee in the clip. 
thought this would never run. Maybe it will. Now. Because of the end of civilization, the clamp cable network now leaves the air. We hope you have enjoyed our programming. But more importantly, we hope you have enjoyed life. It's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, yes, sir. It's very uplifting. But what about us ordinary Joes? How do we get to see this mysterious secret video which lived in the CNN archives under the title Turner Doomsday Video and would only be broadcast at the end of the world? Strangely, it was leaked via the motoring website Jalopnik in 2015. The guy who leaked it, a former intern at CNN, said the video clip is marked in bright red letters HFR, which means hold for release, HFR till end of the world confirmed. Now, when you watch the video, it's only 30 seconds long. It's there on YouTube, you can find it easily now. It's only 30 seconds long and it's of poor quality and it contains no grand announcements and no stirring patriotic speeches. It almost seems anticlimactic, feeble. It is feeble, like us, feeble and small and simply not up to the big occasion. And because the video seems so amateur, it reminds me of what we would now call found footage. You know, the trend in horror films like The Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity, where a bunch of students or young people are messing about, trying to record some supernatural goings-on, and they are never found, but their camera is. And we watch it in the future, a safe, clean future, where the danger has passed, and we can look back and think, oh, those poor souls... Well, maybe one day, Ted Turner's doomsday video, this little clip, will be found and an advanced race will see it flickering and they'll shake their heads. Those poor souls. Of course, if you want to know how British TV would have met the apocalypse, there's a whole BBC chapter in my book, Attack Warning Red, How Britain Prepared for Nuclear War. But in brief, the BBC would have cut in and taken over all other channels. So there would be no room in 1980s Britain for a, a maverick tycoon figure like Ted Turner to arrange his own sign-off video. It would be the BBC going out over all four channels. And then after nuclear war, the BBC as we know it would cease to exist. It would become a, a new entity called the Wartime Broadcasting Service, and that would go out on radio only. So there's a whole juicy chapter on that in, in my book, if you're interested. I will read you a short extract here to hopefully whet your appetite for the book. This is a short section from page 204 called The Wartime Broadcasting Service. If nuclear war had erupted, the BBC would have come off air. Light-hearted ITV and the punchy newcomer Channel 4 would also have disappeared. 
They would have been replaced with the Spartan Wartime Broadcasting Service, WTBS, which would go out on the radio on one channel only. Television had disappeared during the Second World War too, although at that time there were only 20,000 sets in British homes, so the cultural impact of its loss was far less severe than if the same had happened in the Cold War. A blank TV screen in the corner of the room would have been a constant reminder that normal life had come to an end. Throughout the Second World War, the BBC had been broadcasting on radio only, reducing itself to what was called the home service. The same would happen in nuclear war. The big difference was that during the previous conflict, BBC Radio had provided not just news and information, but also morale-boosting music, comedy and entertainment, when shows like It's That Man Again and Workers' Playtime provided much-needed distraction. The wartime broadcasting service would offer no such light-hearted comfort. There would be nothing but hourly announcements and instructions. If you wanted a morale-boosting sing-song, you'd have to organise it yourself. There were practical reasons for this, as survivors would be listening on battery-powered radios, and so should not waste the precious charge by tuning in for songs and skits. The Second World War had also been a very different conflict, which required high morale among workers in the factories, farmers in the fields, and ingenious mothers in the kitchen, keeping everyone in tip-top health on rations. The Home Service offered a jaunty soundtrack to keep spirits high throughout all this work. In nuclear war, the last thing officialdom would want was an energetic and organised population. A silent, weary obedience would be preferable, so that survivors might begin, without too much protest and revolt, the slow, back-breaking, dangerous and often repulsive work of national recovery. This time there would be no patriotic striving to win, no putting up two fingers to the enemy, only a gradual creep back from defeat. There would be no lyrics for such a desolate song, and certainly no sweetheart to sing them. So that's from my book Attack Warning Red, How Britain Prepared for Nuclear War. You can also support me by joining my Patreon, where you get various benefits such as additional podcast episodes or your name and the acknowledgements of my book. Obviously the book is already out, but if you sign up uh, now until September, you can get your name in the paperback, which is out in April. So please take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And I'll be back next week with another episode.